open up your Bibles to the book of Leviticus. So we're returning to our Through the Bible study. We left off in the book of Exodus and we're picking up in Leviticus where we left off. And before we start, I want to try to answer the question of why through the Bible? Why go through the Bible, Genesis through uh, Revelation? And the answer to that question is because all of God's word is inspired. Genesis to Revelation. It's all breathed by God and it's given to us for specific purposes and specific understanding. And if we're leaving out sections of scripture, we're leaving out the revelation of who God is. And the book of Leviticus is a challenging book to study, but it's very rewarding because it reveals Jesus in a very powerful way. And if we leave out any of God's word, we leave out revelation of God. We leave out the revelation of uh, Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you guys, especially the Wednesday night group, is what we're doing here on a Wednesday night, you can do on your own. You can read through the Bible. You can read it chapter by chapter and verse by verse. And it's not about how fast you go. It's not about getting through it in a year. But it's understanding as you go. But this model of of reading and praying and looking at what does the scripture mean. You can read and pray and the Holy Spirit will show you and enlighten the the scriptures to you. So that's the reason we're going through the Bible. uh, Genesis to Revelation. And we pick up in Leviticus. So let's pray over our, our study tonight. Father, we do thank you for your word and that you communicate to us uh, through your word. We thank you for the book of Leviticus and how clearly it reveals the sacrifice of Christ. Would you bless our study of Leviticus and allow us to grow in the knowledge of you? How we need the the knowledge of you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to look at the first three chapters here in Leviticus, and it shows us that Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. Before we get into the book of Leviticus, let's kind of lay the foundation uh, for this book. This is the first book of the Bible that Jewish children would study, is Leviticus. That's how important it was to the nation of Israel. But for us now, it's the last book that we study as adults. Isn't that interesting? It's referred to roughly 40 times in the New Testament. So it's quoted in the New Testament roughly 40 times. Leviticus means pertaining to the Levites. The Levites were were the priests, and so Leviticus simply means pertaining to the Levites. This book speaks of redemption and salvation. God has given the law to the children of Israel, but knows that they're going to fall short of the law. Isn't that interesting? Even at the giving of the law, then there's the giving of the sacrificial system. There has to be an answer for sin. There has to be sacrifice and blood that's shed for sin, and it ultimately points to the redemption and the salvation that Jesus provides. Every sacrifice points to to Christ. Holiness or holy, those two words are used over 80 times in this book, and blood is used 88 times. It's the blood of the sacrifice that brings us into the presence of a holy God. This sacrificial system, it reveals the fulfillment of Christ in a very specific way. This shows us the character of God, God's holiness, but also God's love in providing atonement for our sin. 
The time frame of the book of Leviticus is the children of Israel have just gotten out of Egypt. They're traveling in the wilderness, not yet to the promised land. And God gives to them the importance of worship. This shows us the priority of worship. As they're traveling through the wilderness, you'd think God would maybe say, hey, we'll get to worship and the sacrificial system once you're in the promised land. But God says, no, this is so important. You need to stop and build the tabernacle. You need to make worship the first priority in this new nation that is being built and and created even before they get into the promised land. And church, brothers and sisters in Christ, that's how important worship is in our lives right now. A lot of times we go, well, maybe once I get this set or I have more time over here or when I'm in a different stage of life, how many times have, have we said that? Then I'll make the priority of worship. But God would say, get worship right. Make that the priority. Seek first the kingdom of God and all of these things will be added unto you. It may be that our lives need to be paused and worship needs to have the priority that we put that first and foremost in our lives. That's what God's doing for the nation of Israel. So verse one of chapter one, now the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tabernacle of meeting saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the livestock of the herd of the flock. So God is speaking to Moses. Moses is the author of this book. Moses is then communicating it to God's people. The tabernacle's already been built. The tabernacle was mobile, the central place of, of worship. And the first instruction that's given about an offering, any offering that is brought, is it would come from their livestock, from their herd and of their flock. They weren't to just go and kill a wild animal, but it was a domestic animal that was offered. The first offering in verse 3 If his offering is a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own free will at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. Remember when Jesus rose from the dead and he was talking with some of the disciples on the road to Emmaus? They didn't realize that it was Christ. And Jesus said that he took them through the law and the prophets and it spoke of him. He was talking with them of the Old Testament scriptures and saying, this is where it pointed to me. This is where it pointed to me. And this is where it pointed to me. We look for Christ in the pages of the Old Testament. In each one of these sacrifices, we're going to study four this evening. We're going to see how they point to Jesus. And the first is the burnt offering. And the burnt offering was to be a male without blemish. And Jesus is without blemish. Jesus is perfection. We see Jesus being tried in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by Satan, and responded in holiness, responded with no compromise, not giving in to temptation. Jesus, when he was put on trial, just prior to his crucifixion, there was no guilt found in Christ. He lived a perfect life. He lived a holy life. He was without blemish. He is the sacrifice for our sins. So, This burnt offering ultimately pointed to the offering of Christ. Notice also the burnt offering was a free will offering. It wasn't required. You gave it out of your heart because you were compelled to worship. And Jesus is that free will offering. 
He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He freely offered himself up to the Father. There's aspects in our worship that we learn from the burnt offering. We, we learn that our worship to the Lord is free will. It's a choice that we get to make. No one is forcing you. No one can do it for you. We get to choose if we worship the Lord, if we offer ourselves on the altar as a living sacrifice. Verse 4 is very interesting, but he shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. So here you are bringing this offering, the burnt offering, and before the animal would be killed, the male without blemish, you would have to put your hand onto the animal that was going to be sacrificed. And the key here is the identification of understanding that this animal is innocent and is paying the price for my sin. Then you would have to kill the animal, watch the animal die, the animal bleed out, and we'll see it's, it's a pretty grotesque process, but the understanding is clear. I deserve this death, but this animal is taking the death for me, ultimately what Christ would do for us on the cross. Back in the time of Napoleon, it was recorded that one man fighting in his army was asked to come home to the family farm because his parents needed him. So he goes to his commander and says, I, I need to go home and I'm not going to be able to fight. And the commander said, well, then you have to find somebody to take your place. And this is something that they would actually do during this period is they would pay someone else to come fight in their place. And this family had the means to do it. So they found someone to that was be willing to be hired to fight in his place. Well, as the events unfold, this hired soldier ends up dying in battle. A year later, they come to the same young man and they say, it's time for you to come fight in battle. And he says, wait a second, I've already died. And they're looking at him, what do you mean? You've already died. He's like, I already paid someone to go in my stead and he died. And history says that this went all the way up to Napoleon and Napoleon said, yes, this man has already died and so he doesn't have to fight the battle. The paid soldier died in his place. And that's what Christ has done for us. And this identification would be very powerful of realizing that this animal is paying the price for sin. And it says, accept it on his behalf to make atonement. And atonement is used over 50 times in Leviticus. It's a theme of this book. And the Old Testament definition of atonement is to cover sin. All the animals could do is, is cover the sin of the people. The New Testament understanding of atonement is to cleanse us from sin. Jesus, who is without blemish, he cleanses us from sin. To where 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the thorough work of the atonement of Christ. In verse five, he shall kill the bull before the Lord and the priest Aaron's son shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood all around on the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. He shall kill the bull, the one who is presenting the burnt offering. Then the priest sprinkle the blood around the altar. Another phrase that's used throughout this book is before the Lord, before the Lord, 
before the Lord. These, these sacrifices being made before the Lord. Verse 6, and he shall skin the burnt offering and cut it into its pieces. The son of Aaron, the priest, shall put fire on the altar and lay wood in order on the fire. Then the priest and Aaron's son shall lay the parts, the head and the fat in order on the wood that is on the fire upon the altar. But he shall wash its entrails and its legs with water and the priest shall burn all the altar as a burnt sacrifice, as an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to God. So the blood of this. Basically to be a priest is to be a butcher. When you really look at this, and sprinkling the blood all over uh, the altar. And the message is clear is the price for sin is high. The wages of sin is death. Sin is so severe that this innocent animal had to die, that, that Jesus has to die upon the cross so that we could be forgiven and we could enjoy atonement. But then notice that this becomes a sweet aroma to God. When this burnt offering for sin is made and is placed upon the altar, God's pleased with the sacrifice. In Ephesians 5, 2, speaking of Jesus, it says, as Christ also loved us and has given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. So Jesus is that sweet-smelling aroma to the Father. When Jesus laid down his life upon the cross, the justice of God was satisfied where God could extend forgiveness to us on behalf of what Christ has done for us. And when we respond in the goodness and grace of God and serve the Lord, it's a sweet aroma to the Lord. Today, in the new covenant, God is not looking for an animal to be placed upon an altar, but he's looking for my life and your life to be placed upon the altar in worship when we live our lives in worship, it's a sweet aroma to the Lord. Smells are powerful, aren't they? When there's a pleasing smell, there's nothing like it. When there's a displeasing smell, there's nothing like it. We'll leave it at that tonight. The junior hires are gone. If they were in here, I'd go a little further with that, but it won't. And to be that sweet smell to the Lord, God sees a cup of cold water that's taken to a child in his name, when Jesus spoke that, there wasn't a lot of refrigeration to have cold water. I'm sure a lot of kids didn't get cold water. There's a little extra care that was given. I'm going to give a cup of cold water to a child in, in Christ's name. What you do to the least of these, you, you do unto the Lord. Jesus say when, well, said when you pray in private, in secret, he hears and rewards openly. A life lived unto the Lord is a sweet aroma unto him. Seems like it's a time where discouragement is rampant, where weariness is multiplied. Maybe this evening you're feeling like, does anybody notice? Does anybody care? Is this faithfulness really paying off? I'm sure there were some that were bringing the burnt offering before the Lord and going, does this mean anything? And God was pleased. It's before the Lord. It's before the Lord. And he's pleased with your sacrifice of worship. He sees those simplest tasks that are done unto the Lord. He sees your faithfulness in, in your marriage, in, in your job, with your children. It's pleasing to him. 
Verses 10 through 14 are very similar in the instructions. It's for a burnt offering if you were offering a sheep or a goat. So let's read verse 10. If his offering is of the flocks of the sheep or of the goats as a burnt sacrifice, he shall bring a male without blemish. He shall kill it on the north side of the altar before the Lord and the priests, Aaron's sons, and sprinkle its blood all around the altar. And he shall cut it into pieces with its head and its fat. And the priest shall lay them in order on the wood that is on the fire upon the altar. But he shall wash the entrails and the legs with water. Then the priest shall bring it and burn it on the altar. It's burnt sacrifice and offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. And if the burnt offering of the offering of the Lord is of birds, then he shall bring his offering of turtle doves of young pigeons. So if you can't afford to bring a bull, a sheep, or a goat, you bring a turtle dove or a young pigeon, much more affordable. I love this. There's so much to learn as we study this, is don't think that your offering is just based on monetary value. Do you think God valued the bull more than the pigeon? Did he, evalu- did he value the offering of the rich more than the offering of the poor? No. It's not about monetary value. It's about the heart behind the value. That's for us as well. If a gift is given to you without heart, that doesn't mean that much. But if there's heart in a gift, it might not have very much monetary value, but it's so valuable to you. It's so valuable to me. So don't let your lack of financial resources keep you from worshiping the Lord. Don't believe that lie of like, well, I don't have a lot of money, so what do I have to offer to God? Seek the Lord. Ultimately, he wants your heart. And any gift that you give unto the Lord from your heart is pleasing to him. God made provision to bring a turtle dove or to bring a pigeon. Verse 15, the priest shall bring it to the altar, wringing off its head and burn it on the altar and its blood shall be drained out at the side of the altar and he shall remove its crop with its feathers and cast it beside the altar on the east side into the place of the ashes. Then he shall split it at its wings, but shall not divide it completely. Then the priest shall burn it on the altar, on the wood that's on the fire. It's burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. The burnt offering is complete. Jesus completely offered himself to the Lord. Hopefully we can completely offer ourselves to the Lord. Now we move to the grain offering, from the burnt offering to the grain offering. When anyone offers a grain offering to the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour, and he shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it. G. Campbell Morgan says this about the grain offering. This meal offering was the work of men's hands, of the fruits of the ground, the result of cultivation and preparation. It was the symbol of service offered. This is worship from your daily life. That's the grain offering. They're farming and they have the grain offering and they bring their best. They bring their fine flour from the grain and they present it before the Lord with oil and frankincense. Why the oil and frankincense? It has it be special. It makes it not ordinary. Frankincense was expensive. And in our worship to the Lord, we take our daily life We go, how can I take my daily life and consecrate it unto the Lord? 
Jesus is the fulfillment of the grain offering. He worshiped the Father in the midst of mundane work as a carpenter. He brought his every day to the Lord. Those simple tasks of having to build wood and did it under worship under the Father. So how can we take what we do every day, throughout the day, and say, how can I do this under the Lord? What fills your days? How do you occupy your time? In the midst of that, okay, I'm going to try to to worship the Lord. It's going to bring a lot of meaning and value into the day-to-day. That's the grain offering. It's the consecration of the work of our hands, of the ordinary. In verse 2, And he shall bring it to his sons Aaron, the priests, of whom shall take from it a handful of fine flour and oil with all the frankincense, and the priest shall burn it as a memorial on the altar, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. So you see in these sacrifices, they're burnt. And sometimes in our lives, there's the element of trial with our offering. Our offering is getting tested by fire. We're having to choose to be thankful in a difficult season of our lives, in the midst of suffering. We're having to choose to believe the promises of God while there is suffering that is taking place in our lives. The the offering is going to be tested by fire. The offering is going to be placed onto the fire, and it's a sweet aroma to the Lord. I want you to notice each time to the Lord it's special. I'm thinking if I'm the priest doing this all day long for the bulk of my life, you could be going, oh, here's another grain offering. But God sees the person that brought this grain offering, this fine flour with oil and frankincense, and the Lord's like, oh, that's good. Mm, that, that smells good. When you get up in the morning to meet with the Lord, God's not going, oh, it's another Thursday morning. He's going, oh, this is a sweet time with you. It, when we offer that thanksgiving to the Lord, God's not going, well, I've heard that before. Come up with something new. Come up with something creative. He's like, oh, that, that smells so good. That, it's meaningful to me. Every time, it's a sweet aroma to the Lord. More instructions on different types of grain offering. The rest of the grain offering shall be Aaron's and his son's. It's most holy of the offerings made by fire. So some provision for the priests with the grain offering. And if you bring an offering, a grain offering baked in the oven, so this is a grain offering that's baked, it shall be unleavened cakes of fine flour mixed with oil or unleavened wafers anointed with oil. But if you are offering is a grain offering baked in a pan, it shall be a fine flour unleavened mixed with oil. You shall break it in pieces and pour it, pour oil on it. It is a grain offering. So how does this point to Jesus? Unleavened and broken. Yeast, leaven, is always a picture of sin throughout the scriptures. A little bit of leaven, a little bit of sin affects the whole lump. So as they presented this grain offering, it was to be unleavened, speaking of holiness, pointing to Jesus. Jesus is the only one who is truly holy, who is unleavened, and he makes us holy. Jesus is broken in pieces. He's the bread of life that was broken in pieces in order to provide salvation for us. Verse 7, If your offering is a grain offering baked in a covered pan, it shall be made of fine flour with oil. There's no instructions if you put it in the microwave. 
So just pointing that out. Verse 8, you shall bring the grain offering that is made of these things to the Lord, and when it's presented to the priest, he shall bring it to the altar. Then the priest shall take from the grain offering a memorial portion and burn it on the altar. It is an offering made by fire. Here it is, a sweet aroma to the Lord. And what is left of the grain offering shall be Aaron's and his sons. It is a most holy of the offerings to the Lord made by fire. Verse 11, no grain offering which you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven. For you shall burn no leaven nor any honey in the offering to the Lord made by fire. So no leaven and no honey. Why no honey? Ultimately, we don't know. Some Bible commentators say that in pagan worship, they would put honey into their loaves of bread as they were offered. And so God didn't want anything close to a pagan worship. But ultimately, we don't know why the Lord prescribed uh, no honey. As of the offering of first fruits, you shall offer them to the Lord, but they shall not be burned on the altar for a sweet aroma. So the offering of first fruits is not burned. Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. So your first fruits would be, let's say you've got an apple tree, and your first apples you would offer unto the Lord. And Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection, that he's the first to rise from the dead, to never die again, and we too are going to rise in similar fashion to Christ. God, in our worship, wants our first fruits, to give our best unto the Lord, not to give our our leftovers, but to choose in our worship to give our best unto him. In verse 13, in every offering of your grain offering, you you shall season with salt. You shall not allow salt of the covenant of your God to be lacking from your grain offering. With all of your offerings, you shall offer salt. God wanted it to taste good. Put some salt on there. So all of the grain offering had to have salt. And it says that the salt was a sign of the covenant. The covenant that they had with God. So as they would put the salt onto the grain offering, it was reminding them of their relationship with God. So salt speaks of purity, it speaks of preservation, it also was expensive at this time, and the covenant that God had with the children of Israel was one of purity, it was one of preservation, their worship was their best unto the Lord. Jesus taught us in the Sermon on the Mount that we're the salt of the earth, so us as the church today that we're to have that purity and have that preservation agent in a world of decay. Verse 14, if you offer a grain offering of your first fruits to the Lord, you shall offer the grain offering of your first fruits, green heads of grain roasted on the fire, grain beaten from full heads, so all different kinds of first fruits. And you shall put oil on it and lay frankincense on it. And it is a grain offering. Then the priest shall burn the memorial portion, part of its beaten grain and part of its oil with all the frankincense as an offering made by fire to the Lord. Chapter 3. We're doing good, guys. When his offering is a sacrifice of peace offering. So we've had the burnt offering. We've had the grain offering. We've had the offering of first fruits. Here's the fourth offering, and it's the peace offering. And this is different from the sin offering that we'll study next week in chapter 4 and 5. The peace offering doesn't speak of the offering for sin, but speaks of fellowship and enjoyment with God. 
It's the satisfaction that we have because we're in relationship with God. When Solomon dedicated the temple, it was the largest animal peace offering that was made. 22,000 cattle and 120,000 sheep. It's the largest barbecue in human history, I think. Solomon was so excited about the temple being done. 120,000 sheep and 22,000 cattle. That's recorded for us in 1 Kings 8. When Hezekiah built the second temple, there was 2,000 bulls, 17,000 sheep offered as peace offerings. But that's nothing compared to the sacrifice of Jesus. Yes, Jesus is the sacrifice for our sins, but he's the fulfillment of the peace offering. Where because of his sacrifice, we're able to be brought into enjoyment and satisfaction where we have peace with God. In Romans 5 verse 1, it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? We have peace with God through Christ. To where now Jesus is the source of our satisfaction. Jesus is the source of our peace and our fellowship with the Lord. An amazing gift that has been happening has been accomplished through the sacrifice of Christ. So now we get into the details of the peace offering. If he offers it of the herd, whether male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. And he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall sprinkle the blood all around the altar. Then he shall offer from the sacrifice of the peace offering an offering made by fire to the Lord. The fat that covers the entrails and the fat that is on the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks, and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys he shall remove, and Aaron's son shall burn it on the altar upon the burnt sacrifice which is on the wood that is on the fire as an offering made by fire. Here it is, a sweet aroma to the Lord. God loves it. He loves it. It's like, oh, this peace offering that is being made to me. Sometimes people come to me and they say, you know what, Pastor Eric, we really need to go back under the law because Jesus lived under the law. So we need to go back under the law if we want to be like Jesus. And I just look at him like, you have no idea what you're talking about. You don't even know. You're, you're clueless to what that really means to go back under the law. There's 613 laws to start with. Go ahead and try to fulfill those all perfectly. Then there's the sacrificial system that we're, we're reading about. It's not even possible for us to do this. Churches that go back under the law, they're not killing animals and having peace offerings that are placed, and they need to. They need to. If you're going back under the law, you don't just get to choose the Sabbath day and go, okay, we're, we're back under the law. You don't just get to choose, well, I'm eating kosher, so I'm back under the law. You gotta do all of it. You gotta do it all. You gotta go for the 613 laws. You gotta try to fulfill the sacrificial system. Try going to an architect and saying, we need a kind of a different church building. We're, we're going back under the Levitical system, the sacrificial uh, system. It's clear We're not under the law because Jesus fulfilled the law. Jesus is the sacrifice that's without blemish. He's the the peace offering. So we get to enjoy Christ. The old covenant was to point us to the new covenant. 
In verse 6, further instructions for the peace offering if you were to offer the lamb or the goat. So I'm going to let you guys read from verse 6 down to verse 15 because they're very similar instructions to what we just read, only with the specifics if you were to offer a lamb or a goat. So that brings us to the last chapter, verse of chapter 3, verse 17. This shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations and all your dwellings. You shall eat neither fat nor blood. So for the nation of Israel under the old covenant, they weren't to eat fat nor were they to eat blood. The blood pointing to the sacrifice, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. The fat in the ancient world was thought to be the delicacy of the animal, the most valued part of of the animal, and so the most valued given unto uh, the Lord. So how do we conclude this? Where do we wrap up? Four offerings, the burnt offering, the first fruits, the peace offering, another offering that I'm forgetting right now, the grain offering, thank you. Four offerings, all fulfilled in Jesus, Jesus has fulfilled all four of those perfectly. All four have an application for our own worship. I want to be a burnt offering, completely surrendered to the Lord. I want my daily work to be consecrated to the Lord. I want first fruits to be given to the Lord. I want to meet the Lord in every way possible that I can. But the focus of this is that Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. Amen? And as we come to take communion tonight, because of the sacrifice of Jesus, the veil of the temple was torn too. The message of the tabernacle and of the temple is you cannot enter into the presence of God. You have to stay out. It's it's too holy. And these animals can only cover sin. They can't remove sin. And only one man, one day a year, could enter into the Holy of Holies. When Jesus died on the cross, the veil of the temple was torn too, For those that believe, we have forgiveness of sin, but we also have open access into the throne room of God. And I want to read to you out of the book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews would be a great book to read as we go through Leviticus, because it really points to how Jesus fulfilled the whole Levitical system. But this is the invitation that's given to us. It says, seeing then that we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. And here's the application. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Because Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice, as we take communion to behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, then to enter into the throne room of God. Do you need grace in an area of your life tonight? Do you need mercy in an area of your life tonight? Do you need help in an area of your life tonight? Come to the throne room of God because we have a high priest who can sympathize with our weakness. He went through this human experience. He knows what it's like. And the priest also became the sacrifice. Jesus is the high priest who's also the lamb that took the place for our sins. Well, church, I'm looking forward to Leviticus. It's going to be fun. I think we're going to learn more about Jesus 
and discover him in even a greater way. Let's stand together and pray and we'll enter into communion together. Jesus, we thank you that you are the ultimate sacrifice. We think of the words of John the Baptist as he beheld you. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We understand that we would have no way, no right, no possibility of ever being in your presence if it wasn't for your sacrifice, Jesus. So we do come boldly tonight to your throne room of grace, to those areas of our lives where we need grace and we need help. So we say thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your broken body. Thank you for your shed blood. Would you bless this time of communion in Jesus' name? Amen.